0: listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestcolona.ca. So open your Bibles, the ushers are coming forward, they have extra Bibles, if you didn't bring a Bible today, we'd love for everyone to have a Bible in their hand, Uh, we're going to be working through this text, and so I'm going to be telling you to at times underline things or to notice things, there are certain words, certain phrases, things that are important that just kind of we need to draw our attention to, so uh, we'd love for you to have that copy of God's hand handy and open to Daniel chapter 3, and uh, as we get into his word here this morning. You know, folks, sooner or later, our faith will get tested. Our faith will be tried. And sooner or later, in a sense, so to speak, the rubber will meet the the road, where we will make a choice, where we will really ultimately, in some ways, figure out what do we truly believe. And this will end up happening as far as even our understanding of who are we following? Are we following the Lord Jesus And and this isn't just a one-time event that our faith will be tested or it will be tried. This is an ongoing and a regular sort of thing that we can expect. And yet when we face the furnace, when we face trials, when we face tests, we will have a choice. And that choice will be to either commit to it and to press in and follow through in faith and trusting in our Lord Jesus in obedience to his word, not compromising and follow his ways as we walk through the testing or the trial, or we will compromise. We will cower. We will bow out. We will pack it in. And sometimes it can be just a slow fade. And maybe you're even here today and your faith is kind of, it's in a slow fade kind of mode where you're kind of here, but you're just kind of hanging on. And at times we get worn down and we get tired and we get discouraged and it's like we're just holding on and yet we need to hold on to the truths of God's word and to realize the truths that we're going to be looking at here today. It's oftentimes in these tests and trials and and even in the depths of it, even that is when the genuineness of our faith will be revealed or it may reveal if we truly know the Lord or not. And you see, I know this because I know it in my own heart. And I also know that our faith will get tried and it will get tested and some will walk and some will hold on. And I know this because of a file I have in my desk. This is a file that has been compiled over... 20 years of ministry that I've been privileged to be a part of in people's lives in a number of different churches. I'm not the most organized person and this is my filing system and this is my way of keeping track of the people whose lives I've had the privilege of being able to baptize over the years. There's a lot of names there. And so I've listed the names and the dates of people. Those who publicly profess their faith in Jesus Christ. And some of you are on that file. Some of you need to get listed on that file. Three men came from a church where we used to pastor in Alberta for 14 years. And, and as I was ta- chatting with them and I was thinking about this sermon, I thought, hey, those three names are on that file. So great to see them going on with the Lord and loving the Lord and, and seeing what God has been doing and growing in their lives. And so my heart gets warmed as I look at this and my heart gets grieved. Because sadly on that file, there are those who have quit. There are those who have walked away. There are those that have abandoned their faith. For some, it was a quick, quick, I'm out of here. For others, it was a slow fade. Through tests and trials, God didn't come through like they thought he should or that they, that they were told that he would. They faced a hardship or a trial. They faced the furnace of life. Or for some, it was the pressures or the pleasures of the world. Like Demas, who we read about in, in 2 Timothy 4, when Paul writes about Demas in the early church. He was a faithful follower. He seemed to, seem to be in there. He was helping and assisting in the, the early church. But then Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, what a sad, sad statement. He says, he's deserted us. He's deserted his faith. Why? Because he loved this world too much. You see, it's easy to follow Christ. It's easy when things are going great and and it seems like our prayers are being answered and the the job is good and the money's coming in and the bodies are young and healthy and strong and there's success and, and there's friends and there's a bright future ahead. But how about when the trouble hits? What about when the trials come, when the tests come? What do we do then? How do we stand strong? How do we remain faithful? How do we stand in the furnace? And the furnace is sure to come. And as we even look at society and we even look at the the kind of the church in the decades ahead or even the years ahead, we see the furnace is coming. Will we stand strong or will we cower in fear? How do we stand strong amidst whether it be glory and the success and the lure of this world or the trials or the tests? that are guaranteed to come. And today we're going to look at what it means to have faith in the furnace. You see, the furnace ends up revealing what is truly genuine and what is not, what is real and what is fake, what is wheat and what is the tares or the weeds. See, I encourage you to follow along and to write down some important notes here as we work through this passage, and because I think we'll find ourselves in this passage, and we may find ourselves in some kind of surprising characteristics, uh, maybe we won't find ourselves to be like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, that we have to identify with some others in this story as well. And the first thing I encourage you to write down is, we are fickle, but God is faithful. We are fickle people, but our God is faithful. And the first thing that we see in here is that, um, you know, as we look at this passage that we get into two weeks ago, we were in Daniel chapter 2, and there we see King Nebuchadnezzar, the powerful, the most powerful monarch on planet earth. And here he is at the end of chapter 2, and he is bowing down, his face, face on the floor, recognizing that the God of Daniel and of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was the one true God, just as we were singing here a few moments ago. And he was declaring at the end of that chapter, truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. And he's on his face. Daniel ends up being promoted, and as he's being promoted, he says, hey, can you also promote my buddies? My buddies. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the king grants him that wish. And we see how Daniel ends up allowing his faithful friends to be promoted. At the end of chapter 2, we see, what a picture this is, a pagan king declaring God. That the Hebrew God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob is the one true God. But let's remember, people are fickle. You and I are fickle. King Nebuchadnezzar is fickle. But God is faithful. And in humility and in honesty, we must recognize there is some of Nebuchadnezzar in each one of us. And so let's dig into chapter three here, starting at verse one. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. The king, then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the stirrups." or the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the justices and the magistrates and all of the officials of all the provinces to come join the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. In fact, actually, it's interesting. Archaeologists have located a huge pedestal in the area that quite possibly this would be in, and it would be a huge pedestal that would support a huge statue of what we read about here on the plains of Dura, which is south of Babylon or modern-day Baghdad. King Nebuchadnezzar chooses this nice flat prairie land so that people could see this 60 cubit or 90 feet high statue to his honor, to his glory. And you think, well, how high would that be? Well, this might give you a little perspective if you have any prairie blood or if you've driven through Saskatchewan. It would be about the same height of a traditional grain elevator in the prairie provinces. These lovely landmarks that you can see on those flat prairies for miles upon miles. Fun fact for you, I spent the summer on the farm near Yellowgrass, Saskatchewan, which holds the record in Canada, not the Okanagan, but the record in Canada, Yellowgrass, Saskatchewan, for the hottest temperature in our nation. It was set in 1937, and it was a temperature of 45 degrees Celsius or 113 Fahrenheit. And we could see the grain elevators For yellow grass Saskatchewan, record holder Saskatchewan from our farm that was 13 miles away. This is, you know, just how flat it is. And, and, And so this is what kind of King Nebuchadnezzar is doing. He's building this great big statue on these plains so that people would be able to see it perhaps for miles upon miles. We don't know exactly what the statue is. Some said it was a statue of himself. Others said it was perhaps a statue to, to the god Marduk, one of the the gods that they worship. We don't know exactly what that statue consisted of, but some do believe it may have looked something like this, although I think it would have been even taller and skinnier than, well, 90 feet high, but it was only about 9 feet wide, so it would look kind of funny, but um, that's the uh, description that we're given in the Word of God. So Nebuchadnezzar builds this grain elevator height statue on the plain so people could see it. And this image, though, however, was made entirely of gold. And if you remember in chapter 2, he had this dream of a statue, and, and it was of an image, it was of a person, and he represented the head, which was made out of gold, and then there other parts of the body, and other parts of the statue were made with other metals, with other objects, including clay, and it's kind of thought that perhaps he was taking that dream and that interpretation and he was making a version of this, but now he's putting himself there because it didn't have a very good interpretation. It didn't have a very good outlook for his future. And so perhaps as a declaration and him define that dream and, and he's making this statement, look at me, King Nebuchadnezzar, he makes a whole thing out of pure gold. Again, ancient historians have written, and uh, uh, outside of the Bible, historians have written um, that there was a statue that was built in this time using 800 talents of gold. And you say, well, how much is 800 talents? Well, I'll tell you. That's 22 tons. Could you imagine 22 tons of gold? You say, where did he get all that from? Hey, if you rule the whole world, you have all the gold at your disposal. And so perhaps he made this in defiance of his way, saying, my empire, my kingdom will not be shaken, regardless of what circumstances come my way. So he builds this statue, and he wants everyone to bow. He wants everyone to see how high and how mighty and how wonderful he is. There's no king like King Nebuchadnezzar. And yet, despite his brilliance and his wealth, his great empire fell in 70 years. Kingdoms. And rise and kingdoms can fall quickly. You think, how fickle. Just prior to this in the chapter before, we don't know how much time uh, went between these, between chapter two and chapter three. It was probably a number of years. But here in chapter, the end of chapter two, he's declaring God to be the God of gods. And now he's saying, look at me, look at me, bow to me. As, as men were reminded at the conference by Paul Tripp, we're all glory thieves. We can all have this spirit of Nebuchadnezzar within us. Sunday morning on our lips, we're saying, God first. God, it's you we worship. And then we walk out of here and we want everyone to worship up us. We want everyone to notice us. We want to be at the center of our own lives. Our wants, our desires, our plans, not God's. We want others to bow to us and, and, and bow to me and to my agenda and to my glory. And so Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue 90 feet high and he calls the who's who to come and worship and bow down at this great statue. The magistrates, the counselors, whoever had any sort of authority in the land was called to come. Now, notice. Daniel isn't a part of this story, and it is believed by biblical scholars that he would have been far away at this point on some official king's business because he was second in command. And so they believe he was not around in order uh, when this was taking place. And so he calls everyone together to celebrate, pay homage, have a worship time right around his greatness. I think it's kind of ironic that we're preaching on this sermon When tonight, I believe it is, there's some event in Hollywood where the who's who of our culture, or at least who our culture says are the uh, culture setters in in our world. And the who's who, all the famous people will be there receiving what? A golden statue, an Oscar. Isn't that interesting? I just kind of found that kind of ironic. Um, and, And people will tune in and people will bow down and just see how great and oh what is she wearing and oh what kind of a tux does he have on and analyzing all the who's who people we can be so fickle but god he is so faithful look at verse 4 it goes on and the herald proclaimed aloud you are commanded o peoples nations and languages that you hear this when you hear the sound of the horn the pipe the lyre that Trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace." Verse 7, therefore, as soon as all the peoples had heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the band plays, what a noise that must have been, what a sound it must have been, and it builds up to this certain crescendo, and then all of a sudden, on cue, everyone, boom, they're down, worshipping the great King Nebuchadnezzar well, almost everyone. Verse 8, therefore, at, the, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Come and, oh yeah. You, O king, you have made a decree, as if he's already forgetting about it, that every man Who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and and worship the golden golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. You know them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. (laughs) These men, O king, they pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What a bunch of rats they are, hey? Ratting out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But remember, people are fickle. God is faithful. At the end of chapter 2, Daniel, as he's placed in command here, second only to the king, has Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego also promoted here? that wouldn't have gone over well with the others, with the locals, with the Chaldeans that were there, with the others. I mean, you know, and and can't you just see it, how angry and frustrated they get? These Jews, these Hebrews, these, these refugees, these captives from, these vegetarians, even from Jerusalem. They're here and they get this high position and, and we have to, you know, take orders from them. They didn't like them very much. They would have been angry and jealous of them. And, because they're promoted. And that, that word, and, and how do we know this? Am I making this up? No, look at in verse 8. When it says that they would maliciously accuse them. You only maliciously accuse someone if you can't stand them. If they're driving you nuts. Maliciously accused, that's a very interesting word statement. It literally means eating the pieces off, eating the pieces of flesh off. What a wild animal will do when it's stripping off the meat of another animal to consume it. They were mad. They were steaming. They were so, they were just ready to tear these guys apart. And you know what? At times, folks, our faith and our desire and our plan to follow Christ will make others very upset. The decisions we make within our home, within the business, can make others bad mouth, push us down, mock us, ridicule us at any time that they can find to be able to do so. Get ready for it. Be prepared for it. God's word tells us that will happen. Even Jesus said in Matthew 11, he says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great. Your reward is great in heaven. Now, they weren't jerks about it, and this isn't a call to be a jerk in holding up the truths of God's word. They were respectful, and we'll see that in a moment once again. But they would not bow. They would not bow their knees. They would not get on their faces before this statue. And they came to see very clearly, whether it was King Nebuchadnezzar, Whether it was these magistrates, these counselors, some of them, because of the Daniel dream and the interpretation of it, their lives were saved. Remember, the king was saying, I'm going to rip you apart from limb to limb. And he put out the order to have them all killed. And because of Daniel, he requested that no one die. Daniel had even saved their lives. This God had saved them. And now they're ready to have these guys torn apart. But they came to rest in the understanding and the knowledge that we can be fickle, but God is faithful encourage you to write down this second thing here, that tests and trials are certain. However, by faith, God will deliver. Tests and trials are certain. But God, even throw in the word, by faith, will deliver. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. And he ends up giving them a second chance. And he said, listen, okay, I understand, you know, like maybe you guys are a little wax in your ears. You know, you just didn't quite get this. I'm going to play the music one more time for you. I'm going to give you another opportunity to fall down and worship. And then, you know, we'll just look, we'll just kind of overlook this. This won't be a big deal. But then in verse 15, it says, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Right here, he's basically saying battle on. It would have been so easy, even maybe justifiable for them at this point, these young men to compromise and to bow, just get the pressure off, just get the the king and these others off their backs. I mean, everyone else is doing it. These three weren't the only captives in Babylon that would have been in that crowd. It is believed that there were 75 to even a couple of hundred of of captives like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel in Babylon that were in the king's courts at that time. They were Jewish heritage. They were bowing. It's not a big deal. Hey, we can bow with our knees, but we won't bow with our hearts. Instead of, you know, paying homage to King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to be reciting scripture. I'm going to be, you know, just, just, just singing worship songs to God. When everyone else is bowing and worshiping, you know, I I won't close my eyes. And yet we see how God—they see that God has raised them. God has given them this position. Do we just walk away? Do we just cower? Do we compromise? Maybe they could have even thought, well, how can we? You know, what kind of influence for God could we have if we're dead? Fires tend to be fatal. You know, so, you know, like, maybe it's okay. We can compromise a little bit. But, folks, they knew that bowing the knee, bowing to this image would be breaking the word of God, the first and the second commandment very clearly that God had given to their people. Only one God, and it's the God of the universe. It's the God that they worship, and they're not to have any idols. And they weren't going to break those commandments they would not bow, they would not compromise. And loved ones, we must understand that if you are a believer in Christ, you want to truly live for God sooner or later, and probably sooner, or maybe you're even in this even right now, there will be temptation. There will be pressure to compromise, to cave in on certain business decisions, practices, things in our lives, conversations, relationships, activities within those relationships that are going to come in conflict with the Word of God. It's just a matter of time. It will come. The choices we make for entertainment, for relaxation. What does God's Word have to say? Ah, you know, but I, you know what, and we think somehow we can kind of, you know, just bargain with God and bargain with His Word and we can get, you know, kind of the hall pass to, you know, just kind of get, get by with it. You know, God and I have this understanding. If your faith is real your faith your future then is certain you better be ready that conflict is on the way you know that old song that we would sing at camp maybe some of you don't even know it anymore because it's too old but it goes i have decided to follow jesus no turning back no turning back though none go with me still i will follow the cross before me the world behind me who are we worshiping But you might say, but if I came clean, if I obey God's word, it could cost me. It could cost me my job, it could cost me my income, it could, it could cost me a relationship. And yes, exactly. It it could and it probably will. There's times in our lives where we will have to draw the sand and say, I choose to obey God, I choose to obey his word, or I choose to go in the way that I'm wanting to go. And it will be our choice. I wonder, are there areas where you're compromising today? Lifestyle practices, sexuality, attitudes, conversations that you may have, attitudes that don't bring glory to God, gossiping, think, oh, it's okay, it's not that big of a deal. No, what does God's word have to say about it? And we can justify it as a prayer request. Entertainment, I mean, pastors, would you pray for me? The temptation to compromise, to cower is so real today because ultimately what the world says is successful when it comes to a church are butts and bucks. Butts in the seats and bucks in the bag in the offering basket or the offering plate. And we can easily cower and and build a crowd and not teach the word of God and proclaim his truth, whether it be publicly or one-on-one, because we don't want to offend. We don't want people to walk away from the church. We want them to come and, 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 and make us think that we're successful because of the crowd that is being drawn. But what does God's word? Are we preaching the word of God? And today, across our nation, God's word is being so watered down. In our churches today, we're taking God's word I've heard guys preach sermons. They open the word. They say something. and says, this is what God's word says. And here, here's, he, close the word and say, this is what I believe. Compromise. And it's so easy to do because the love of man and the approval of man and the comfort that comes with that and how people, what they will think of us. Would you pray for pastors in our nation? Would you pray for me? Would we pray for one another that we would be people of the word? If it's going to cost you in business, if it's going to cost you in a relationship, what's more important to be right with God or to realize that people are fickle and that you please them for a while, it's, it's only for a while. What does it do with our relationship with God? It builds distance. There's no power in our prayer. There's no victory in our lives. And That's why we start drifting and we start just kind of, just, just kind of walking away. Maybe it's supporting lifestyles or practices, not speaking up towards family members or co-workers. I remember hearing a story, and boy, this has impacted me years ago, and it has stuck with me, of a guy who was just starting a new job. Young people, get this in your heads. This is important to listen to. This guy started this new job, and the phone rang, and the boss turned to him and said, if it's for me, tell I'm not here. Phone it's ringing, a new employee picks it up, answers the phone, and then he passes it off to the boss and says, "Here, it's for you." That boss was so mad, he finished that conversation. He says, "What was that?" He just started like, "What did I just tell you to do?" And he said, "Sir, if I could lie for you, then I could lie to you. What do you want?" A young man and and he went on and became second in command in that business, a very trusted employee. Because he was a man of compromise, was ready to put his job. Heard of read another story this week along the same vein and, and, and again just so impactful. There's this was years ago, jobs were very tough in the city where this, this guy worked and he got a job at a warehouse. And as they were finishing up their work on Saturday afternoon, another shipment came in and, and the boss said, okay, I need you all here tomorrow morning. I need you here to, to, um, unload this, this next load of supplies. And this one employee came and said, I'm sorry, sir. I can't, I've made a commitment to my church and to my widowed mother that I would take her to church and I have to fulfill those commitments. He says, okay, you can go get your paycheck. You are done. And that young boy went away for, from that job, and he could not find another job for three or four weeks, and he was wondering if he made the right decision. He was calling out to God and trusting God. Few a few, few weeks later, that same business owner was talking to a banker who was opening a new bank in the area, and he says, I need to find a trusted employee, one more trusted employee. He says, I know the name of a guy. And he gave him the name of the guy that he had just let go a few weeks before. And he said, you want a guy who's ready to lose his job for principles that he believes in. God rewards. Even the world at times will reward this kind of thing, but oftentimes it won't. King Nebuchadnezzar was not ready to honor. Look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to king, oh, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Look how they respond to him. I mean, They're even saying, it's a done deal. Like, you don't have to give us another chance. It's okay. We're not going to bow. In the face of death, they are firm in their convictions. They want to be right with God. They want to be true to his word above all else. They've drawn the line in the sand. They've dug in their heels. Oh, king, don't give us a second chance. We're not bowing. But look as you read this, and we see this earlier in, in the book with Daniel when he was before the king, or before even the king's servants, and he was asking to go on the Daniel diet of veg- uh, to eat vegetables. They're so respectful in honoring the king. They didn't make a big scene, and they didn't call down the king, and they weren't disrespectful. And I think I have to talk about this. Lord's just laid this on my heart that... That this is something else. And you're like, oh, now you're getting to meddling, Pastor. And like, yeah, we're going to meddle a little bit more. But I'm also preaching this at me. You know, when you look at our world and you see everything that's going on. And you see tragedies. And you see incredible upheavals. Wasn't there at least a little good news with Billy Graham going home to heaven? And just to see the world and to see the gospel going forward, even in death. That was some good news this week. But so much political chaos in our nation and nation to the south and around the world. And even when it comes to our prime minister, it doesn't matter if you like him or dislike him. And it goes for the guy south of the border as well. The media and social media have a field day with these guys, with our political leaders. And, and maybe you even believe with all your heart that they're incompetent for these positions that they hold. Recently, our prime minister went to India. He's garnered a lot of criticism. And I'm not judging this one way or the other. I, I do have opinions, but I don't need to share that at this time. But there's been, since then, a lot of mockery of our prime minister. Just, I mean, this is just some that you'll see on social media of his preparing to go to South Korea or Trudeau getting ready for his trip to the UK and this is just the start of it and and these things are so funny and, and, and we enjoy a good laugh. But we are the ones that laugh and sin and have a good time with these kind of things. But then we're all mad at society because kids have no respect and they're shooting their friends. And we see that our young people have no respect in our world anymore. When folks, when the body of Christ is believers in Christ, we have no respect for those who God has placed in authority in our lands. This is a big deal. What does God's word have to say? 1 Peter 2.17, show proper respect to everyone everyone whether it's the homeless whether it's a senior the baby the, in, the 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 preschooler who is irritating and can cry and you show proper respect to everyone love the family of believers fear god honor the emperor you say well that's easy for peter to write they didn't have trudeau or they didn't have trump no they had nero and nero at this time was rounding up christians putting tar all over their bodies and setting them on fires so they could be human torches for his garden parties where he would run and, and have naked chariot races around his gardens. And yet Peter is saying, even though they're rounding up and they're killing Christians, he's saying, honor the emperor. I wonder what would happen in Canada if we as God's children got serious about praying for our leaders. Praying way more than we ridicule and criticize. And and yes, we need to be involved and we need to know the facts and we need to be concerned and write letters and and we need to be involved politically in that way. But we need to honor those who God has placed over us. Hudson Taylor said, it is possible to move men to God by prayer. Do we believe that? What if we got serious about praying for our leaders? if we prayed for them as much as we criticize them. And again, I say that, please receive that in love, but this is God's word. And, and for those of you ladies and the men and those who weren't at our conferences past week, we were reminded and challenged that if the sin in the church, even in these kind of areas where we're going against, we're compromising, we're we're disagreeing with God's word when we even do this kind of thing, when we're disrespectful to, to those in authority. That is sin. But if sin is cleaned up in the church, revival would come to our land. If we're willing to deal with what we need to deal with in that way. And so here we have these young men. Look at their response, verse 17. If it be so, our God whom is, who we serve is able to deliver from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and worship the golden image that you have set. Here's where they've dug in their heels. We're not doing this. We're not bowing. We're not bending. Folks, this here, I encourage you, in verses 17 and 18, mark that in your Bible. If it is your Bible, this is one of the greatest affirmations of faith that you will find in the word of God. They're saying, we're not going to bow. We're not going to compromise. One way or another, we have faith that God will deliver us from you. Whether he'll deliver us from the furnace or through the furnace. He will deliver us out of it or he will deliver us through it. We're not going to bow. We will be free of you one way or the other. You see, that kind of faith, however, just doesn't show up in the moment of crisis. This faith was planted in these young boys Years ago by their parents. Cultivated through an abiding relationship of obedience in their lives. Even as they were taken captive. I encourage you to write this down. When our, when our up comes down, what's in comes out. When our up comes down, what's in comes out. Think about that. When our up comes down, our in comes out. Think about this here. Just, just even see what was coming out of these guys, what had been trained, had been instilled into their lives that they had fostered, cultivated into their lives years earlier. I can't help but wonder if Isaiah 43 wasn't going through their minds. It had already been written by the prophet Isaiah. And what did, he, what did the prophet Isaiah write? He says, but now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior wonder if they were quoting that and reminding themselves of that truth this week one of the ladies in our church received and has gone through an ex- just incredible experience of a whirlwind of life events and family events involving a family member severe medical crisis hit their family on monday And for a number of days, there was some great concern as the doctors were trying to figure out the course of action to take and what was the cause of everything that had been taking place. Family was being called in because things were looking very serious. In the midst of this crisis, I received this text from her. She said, The doctors are doing a battery of tests. Then she went on to say, But I had a very intimate time with Jesus this morning. And for the past few weeks, in the Daniel series, and then that powerful message on Sunday, last Sunday, she's talking about, I've heard repeatedly, God is in control of every detail of your life. And I'm believing that. That is faith in the furnace, leading to a faith through the furnace. That is faith one way or another. God's got this. And a little later on the week, as they found out more of the details and and, and figuring out a course of action and what the road ahead looks like, she sent a a longer email and just even explaining how over the last number of months, God has been teaching and preparing and just kind of impacting her in the area and the importance of prayer and and just trusting the sovereign God in prayer for and all things. And, And God is preparing her for that. And so as she's going through that furnace, she's walking through it with faith. You see, when our up comes down, what's in comes out. And sadly, this is where so many believers, they don't have much on the inside. They don't know God's word. They don't know his truth. They're not drawing to him. They're they're just kind of backing off. So oftentimes, many people will follow and serve the Lord as long as he does what what we want him to do. But when he doesn't, it's so easy for our faith to stumble and to fail and, 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 and this comes down to a lordship issue and it's, we're, we can be so flimsy on this these days. Will I trust God? Will I have faith when things are good as well as when things are not so good? You see, great faith says God will deliver, but even greater faith says even if he doesn't deliver, I will still love and serve and trust him no matter what. Is God just a means to an end? Or is he our end? Is he our goal? They knew what was going to happen to their bodies. Sure, their bodies may be burned, but nothing could touch their souls. And then thirdly, I encourage you to write this down, our last point here today. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. Or oh, here's the third point. In the flames or through the flames, we need to know God is with us. In the flames or through the flames? God is with us. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it usually was heated. Now, this isn't literally because they didn't have like the thermometers like we have today. It's not like he stuck a probe in there. Yeah, okay, we uh, hit seven times. Seven in the Bible was a number of completeness. So basically, this is saying it was heated to the max. So this furnace was hot. It was as hot as it could possibly get. Verse 20. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. These were like the Navy SEALs. These were like, or in Canada today, um, I asked a guy even yesterday, because he used to be in the military, it would be the J2F2. That's Canada's version of the Navy SEALs. These are, these are the elite. These are the soldiers. These are soldiers of soldiers. Like These are the guys. Quite even possibly one commentator said this may have been even the king's bodyguards because he wanted to make sure these guys were going to get chucked in there and that they weren't going to get away, verse 22. Because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace overheated, um, the furnace... And the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished as he rose in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come on out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps and the prefects and governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And the no smell of fire had come upon them. Wow. There's so much that just in these verses and so little time for us to digest through this. So here's a few things we just want to work through. First of all, notice there's not even a smell of smoke. How is that even possible? You go and have a little campfire and you smell of smoke, right? You know, and, and, and not even a smell of smoke. Didn't even touch them. The soldiers outside were burned to death. And the ones on the inside were having the time of their lives. Why? Why was it the time of their lives? Why? Because the fire didn't consume them? No, because who were they with? And this is one of the handful of times that we see this happening in the Old Testament. This is a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus prior to his coming to earth like he did in the form of a baby later on with Joseph and Mary being his earthly parents. But this is a Christology or a theophany. This is a, a revelation of our God. And, and we believe this was Jesus that was there, that this scripture points to this. And folks, when God says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, he means it. Because he is there with these men in the furnace. They went into the flames bound and they came out unbound. The only thing that were burned were the symbols of Nebuchadnezzar's power. The flames ended up leaving them freer, even cleaner, no smell. And Nebuchadnezzar earlier, what did he say to them in a threat? And he said, and what God can deliver you from my hand? The God who walks with us. The God who will never, ever, ever leave us Or forsake us. The God who invites us day after day after day. Come to me. All you who are weary. You who are burdened and I will give you rest. I am with you. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree... Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn from limb to limb and their houses laid in ruins. And there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Well, we'll find out in the next chapter chapter, if this was fickle Nebuchadnezzar or faithful Nebuchadnezzar. That'll be for next week. But, folks, as we close here this morning, I want to remind you that when we stand for Christ, He stands with us. When we take a stand on the Word of God, He will be with us. He will strengthen, He will help us, He will see us through. I'm sure that place, that furnace, with the fires raging all around them, was the sweetest communion that they experienced until they were called home to heaven. A time of worship, a time of hearing the words of Jesus. They were delivered. Folks, stand for Christ and he'll stand with you one way or another. Spurgeon wrote, he says, beloved, you must go into the fiery furnace if you would have the nearest and dearest experience with Jesus. That's where we find Jesus to be the nearest and the dearest. It's when we're in the furnace, when we're turning to him, when we're trusting him. You say, yeah, well, they were delivered. I know a lot of people who weren't delivered. So do I go home this afternoon and read Acts chapter seven. Stephen, the first martyr of the early church He's preaching his heart out, and angry men clenching their teeth, they are so mad because he's preaching the gospel, and he's affecting their lives, and affecting their popularity, and he's giving it, and he wouldn't stop preaching, he says, stop preaching, he's like, I'm not going to stop preaching, I'm going to keep preaching Jesus, you're not going to shut me up. He wouldn't compromise, he wouldn't cower, he wouldn't give up, he wouldn't give in, no matter what they said, and no matter what they threatened. They're yelling, they're threatening, and they're going to stone him to death. In verse 55 of Acts 7, it says, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then he was stoned to death. He didn't didn't end so well for him, did it? Oh, it ended very, very well for him. Because everywhere in the New Testament we see that once Jesus conquered sin and death and the grave and ascended up into heaven, what is Jesus doing? He's sitting. He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. But what's he doing when someone who takes a stand for God and it doesn't work out here on this earth, what's he doing for Stephen? What's he doing here? He's standing there to welcome his servant home, his faithful, uncompromising Faith in the furnace, Stephen. And there's been many since then. Those are the people who have the faith. Are we willing to take a stand? Are we willing to stand for Jesus and know that when we stand for Christ, he will stand with us one way or another. Lead us through the flames. He will meet us in the flames. Let's pray. As the band comes and we sing a song of Response, I trusted it, indeed, wouldn't be words on our lips, but it would re- be a response of our heart. wonder today, what needs to end in your life today? What compromise? What activity? What lifestyle? What business? Where are you cowering? Where, do you, where have you sensed the, where you know what God's word says and the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life? about a certain area and it's it's time to obey it's time not to compromise anymore and to make that stand folks I want to encourage you and I would love to pray with you after and there would be others who would love to pray with you afterwards to remind you that when you stand for Christ he will stand with you Lord Jesus I pray that for each one of us we would do examination of our heart that's what your word calls us to do And tough words build strong people. Soft words build soft people. We want to be tough. We want to be strong. We want to have hearts that are soft towards your word, but strong when it comes to our convictions based on your word. Not legalism, but freedom that we have. But God, we need to obey your word. And would your Holy Spirit convict and work in our lives? And would we be ready to do whatever it stands that we would have that same faith we see in these young men willing to give it all we see the victory that came in the furnace would you grant victory upon victory this week in the lives of your people that stand together as we worship